0: passion, an overwhelming and fervent emotion, often influencing life decisions and leading individuals to joy. It can also be the motivator for people to do amazing things that have a positive impact on themselves and consequently the people around them. In today's episode, our special guest star, Jonathan Priesel, will share how he has done this in his life.
1: Welcome to the Penley and Essendon Grammar Pegscast. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in life that don't usually get talked about. I'm Lachlan.
0: I'm Laura. I'm Ronan. And I'm Alexis. And we are all Year 12 students at Penley and Essendon Grammar School.
1: Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. Also, Penley and Essendon Grammar School acknowledges the Rwandri and Tarnarung people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which our school stands. We pay respects to the elders past and present and affirm our commitment to the ongoing work of reconciliation.
0: For more information about this podcast episode, please head to our website pegs.vic.edu.au.
2: Today, we're pleased to welcome Jonathan Preesell, an English teacher at PEGS. Welcome, Mr. Preesell. We look forward to hearing about your journey. Cool, thank you. Good to be here. The theme at PEGS this year is The Compass which we are perceiving to be linked with the word direction. Firstly, what are your passions? Can you please unpack these for us and elaborate on how they guided you to help people
3: and the community? So there are two specific passions that I've had and the boys that I've taught probably know at least one of them and that is superheroes grew up reading comic books. And now that they're on the cinemas, I'm always going to watch them as well. Um, and the other one is cooking. And a fun fact is I was actually meant to be on season two of My Kitchen Rules way oh, back yeah. when, until my brother decided he didn't want to do it. He pulled out. He was second, first year arts law at Monash at the time. And so we, we really annoyed the producers with a last minute email saying we're out. As far as how it's kind of guided me, I think one of the things is that having this interest in superheroes, it's always kind of made me think about, who we really are and what makes us special and especially in the last maybe 12 to 18 months as well it's really kind of the whole kind of emotional learning has really been a focus for me and as far as the idea of compass as well and what guides us and what we're working towards I see a lot of boys especially now at Gottliebsen house who are a little bit rudderless to be honest um, they're living in a world whereby, They're just kind of meandering through it. And in some ways, I've kind of used that as motivation for myself to channel my passions into trying to help them find their way through it. Yeah, I know, like, there's lots of evidence coming out now, for example, that boys are academically falling behind in the world. They are generally two years behind women, cognitively. And they are also falling behind in higher education statistics you know their rate yep. of university attendance is at uh, three to one with women right. and I think a big part of that is the fact that a lot of boys especially when they get here they get disconnected I don't mean just at pegs I mean middle school I mean you put an iPad in front of a boy and all of a sudden the boy no longer has to worry about trying to be their own superhero instead they can be a superhero on yeah. their device yeah. so earlier this year I did an emotional coaching course through Melbourne Uni. And it was all focused around getting helping parents and also, by extension, just helping kids to be able to actually understand their emotions. A big part of that was trying to get parents to understand not only their what's called a meta-emotional philosophy, which is what they've been taught about emotions, but also to be able to get them to then use that to help their kids. So, for example... A lot of parents, especially a lot of fathers out there, there's that perception that, you know, boys don't cry, you can't be weak, and that type of stuff. And those attitudes are typically passed on to kids. So if a, a young boy goes to their, their father and they're upset, the father, the father's philosophy on the emotion is boys, boys can't cry, they can't be weak, suck it up, move on type thing. And so through this course, it was about actually getting parents first to understand how they feel about different emotions and then to be able to actually help guide their, their kids through those emotions as well. And the first stage of that, which I think a lot of parents struggle with, and by extension, I've spoken to my year eight form group about this as well, a lot of kids also, is to be able to pick up on low level bids for attention. So it could be something, for example, and I'm sure Ronan, there are days when you get home and you're pissed off and you don't really want to talk to anyone, but you might enter and exit a room a lot. Or you might have another tick, you might start tapping on the table, or, you know, you might just pick a fight here or there. And so the course is really about getting parents to be able to be more perceptive, because in order to be able to unpack and deal with emotions, you've got to be able to notice and recognize them first. And, you know, we all spend a lot of time on devices, and especially in a post-COVID world disconnected, that we need to actually be taught how to do that. And that's what the course kind of focused on. And the other important bit about the course as well was that it does emphasize the fact that when teenagers are going through things, it's not our job as adults to solve their problems. That actually just creates more issues for the teenager later because they don't learn how to regulate their their emotions and understand them. Instead, it's our job to guide them through those emotions and to help them come out the other side. I mean, if we've got a kid, if you've got a kid who is upset, sad, angry, or even super happy, you don't want them doing something reckless and dangerous, you've got to be there to monitor that. But at the same time, you've got to give them space to be able to feel it and experience that so that they can create their own meta-emotional right. philosophy.
2: I, I guess the things that you learned in that course, have you been able to apply them to you know, your day-to-day classes? Yeah,
3: definitely. I mean, it puts a whole new kind of light on dealing with interactions with boys. I think boys especially they don't think about those things they don't think about and I'm not sure you know what you're where you're at now going in versus like for example where you were at, at middle school but you ask a year 8 boy how they're feeling and quite often the answer is meh you know you ask a year 8 boy why they did that the answer is meh and then typically the whole conversation then moves on to a consequence but that doesn't actually kind of resolve anything so it's that whole thing of giving time giving space and it might take Longer than you may like or may have, but in order for them to actually unpack it, you've got to give them that time. One of the things I really want to achieve out of this is at the moment as well, and I think this is permeating through boys of all ages up through to even early 20s and adults as well, is there's this rise of, um, it's deemed kind of toxic masculinity, but I think that's actually too broad of a definition. Instead, what it is, is the idea of masculinity around the world is actually changing. And that's a great thing. The idea of the gender divide between men and women is slowly crumbling. But as a result, young men and boys are finding themselves kind of lost in this new world. And that is largely why a lot of these these boys and men are gravitating towards people like Andrew Tate and Donald Trump as well. And the new one that I saw pop up, Andy Elliott, who's a salesman because they are reaffirming this sense of to be a man you need to be a provider you need to be strong you need to do all these types of things but that's not the reality of the world we live in now and that's a that's a really good thing and so boys need to learn how to feel and to emote and to understand that that's okay because for them to be a a productive member of society and also to be a good partner to someone one day they will need to be a more active father and a more present one and a more active and present partner they can't just go off and work and come back and kick the shoes off and expect things done for them but that is still a what a lot of boys have internalized and so my hope is that through helping boys work through emotions and understand them they can start to see that their role is not just to provide financially, but also to help provide emotionally and that they will find more of a place in the world and steer further away from
1: these kind of toxic influences. Yeah, um, just going off of that, just want to ask if you think it's something that can be changed or is it something that's an intergenerational thing that only the new generation of, of young boys will be taught that as they grow up?
3: I think it's something that only the... the the new generation can be taught, to be honest. I think that if for parents, I think they're fairly stuck in their ways. I know my parents are, for example. There has been a move, which I think is great, especially post-COVID, of normalizing therapy and seeing a psychologist if you are dealing with things. But that's something that I only see amongst younger people and not, you know, let's go with 50-year-olds plus. They're kind of you know their sense of trauma and what they're dealing with is being compartmentalized, and it's too much of their fundamental sense of identity. That if you were to unpack it, there'd be it would fall apart. So I do think it's something that it. I do think it's something that creates con- conflict for kids, young boys, and men, because, like I said before, it g- gets them stuck between the world of who I could be, which is a functional member of society, both emotionally financially and mentally versus who i've been told i should be which is coming back to the superheroes as well an action hero that can do everything and doesn't need any help that's fundamentally flawed though i think one thing that women do a lot better with as well is understanding that to be functional within a society you've got to play a lot of different roles and you've got to play those roles well boys typically they play one role and that one role is the provider role And that is becoming, rightfully so, outdated and it's leaving a lot of boys in the lurch.
0: Um, Just going off that, so as you have suggested, it's really hard to change the mindset of the older generation. (coughs) But when these young boys are being surrounded and raised by these men who have such stagnant perceptions of masculinity, doesn't that put them in a situation where it's really hard to change? Because if their support is only coming from school they kind of need the support from their parents as well so how would you encourage boys that are within that situation to kind of grow maybe even teach those men in their lives that are a bit resistant to that change as well how would you suggest they go forward
3: so one of the real interesting thing about boys and girls is how they create friendship groups girls will create friendship groups based on creating connection and I'm you know I might be telling you things you know. I might be completely wrong here. But when you choose your friendship groups, you pick a group of girls that you you like hanging out with because you've got similar interests and you explore and unpack that. A lot of the friendships that boys make, and I know this was my case, it might be different for you guys here, but it's situational. You know, I became friends with the guys I played basketball with because I played basketball with them. I became friends with the guys who I go to the gym with because I go to the gym with them. But there's not much else behind that friendship. It's all fairly surface level, and it never gets much deeper than that either. So to come back to your question, I think the best thing that boys can do is, because you're right, there's most likely not going to be much support in the home, and I've seen this with some boys at the school and read stories otherwise as well, of, for example, young boys who have decided to come out while they've been at school, and the parents have been very... I've not been accepting because their ideas of what is masculine, it contrasts and conflicts so much with that that they can't process that, right? And so the idea that their son may be someone that needs to emote and, and feel is seen as a feminine thing when in fact it's not. It's just a way that it's been defined by society. But if they can build and take the friendships that they're in now and normalize, hey, I'm feeling pretty awful today. Can we just have a chat? And start to normalize that amongst their friendships, that's significantly more powerful than what I think goes on in the home. Because especially for teenagers, teenagers are hardwired, and you guys are kind of coming out of this age now, to push back against their parents. You know, it's it's the way teenagers work, whereas you're more hardwired to actually connect with your friends. So at the ages of 13 to 17 and 18, you're not going to be looking at your parents for, hey... I need to be more emotionally secure here. Can we have a chat? You're going to be looking at your friends for that. So for young boys, it's really about actually building those friendships on actual emotional vulnerability than it is about, well, we're mates because we all play footy together and that's kind of it.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. But even going off that, just from experience, female friendships and, like, friendships between girls and boys – especially in the younger years, it's tended to be something that is made fun of, for example. And maybe this is just a niche thing, but within boy groups, if you have a relationship with a girl, not even a romantic relationship, just friendships as well, it's tend to be something those boys are made fun of. So going into the future, how do you think those kind of relationships between genders can be beneficial for both without it being something that is used so against them?
3: so okay so i think if i understand the question correctly it's once again it just becomes about normalizing it but in order to normalize it guys have to understand where it comes from so to give you an understanding like i see i've seen a therapist i've seen a psychologist and i'm currently seeing one as well and i because this is still something that i'm like grappling with here I will only go and see a female therapist or a female psychologist because I know that women are more naturally inclined to provide empathy and to provide understanding, whereas I've still got a little bit of that ingrained idea that men are more stoic, you know, more their emotions are more closed off. And so for a young boy to see a young boy with a completely friendship-based young girl, you know, no romantic interest, it's a lot of that kind of reaction that you were talking about, it's just a complete inability to understand why someone would need someone to help them feel emotions. And so the more that becomes normalized, and I do think here at, at PEGS, being single sex, you see it you see it more, my closest friends are all women. Because I, I went to a co-ed school, so it was normalized. And so I think as there are more co-ed classes at McNab, uh, sorry, uh, well, At McNabb and Gotti House, we have the Day, which is the day of combining classes, and as more of that stuff starts to come in, and there's more normalization of the fact they can just be friends without any romantic, it will become normalized. Dealing with young boys can be slightly more complicated than people think. Uh, for example, the part of the brain that regulates emotion is the super marginal gyrus, and someone can't really show empathy, until that part of the brain is developed, but it only develops at the end of your teen years, which means that through middle school, this is why there is this trend of entitled narcissistic behavior across students nationwide, if you look at the media, and especially coming out of years of COVID. You know, they haven't looked at people face-to-face and even now looking at screens. They haven't, they're not developing empathy. So it has to be very specifically modeled. Now, this presents the other issue with young boys and that quite often they are quite disconnected still from being able to feel things. So I am currently running a program first within my form group to try to get them to first talk about emotions. That's the first thing. And we've got some worksheets and books that we're working through to do that. But it's something I'm constantly kind of revising based on what works and what doesn't. Because it's not like if I gave you ladies a worksheet about the importance of feeling sad, like I have to some younger year level McNabb students, they can answer it very easily. The boys will sit there and they'll laugh, they'll make jokes, they'll distract, you know, things like that. So it's about what works with that general manic energy that a young boy has combined with getting the message across and understanding that it's fairly important the other thing also that that i've worked in is within the english classroom i brought a lot of i've adapted for example a bunch of worksheets that our therapy worksheets into class-based exercises so they can actually start looking at the importance of not just facts because boys are very good at understanding facts you know but they're not good they're not the best at understanding why things happen. And so these worksheets help the, the boys to understand and look deeper, which hopefully will then segue and normalise into there's more that goes on behind the scenes. Let's start looking at that.
0: Okay, so what is it that gets you out of bed every morning?
3: The fact that if I don't get out of bed when my alarm clock goes off, I probably won't. So I've just got to roll over and f- fall out of bed. Otherwise, my cats will try to eat me. Look, honestly, I can give you a... A clichéd answer, like I've written written down building connections and things like that, but I think being an adult, part of the thing that gets you up in the morning is hoping that you are, okay, this is a clichéd answer, but anyways, hoping that you are in some ways contributing to some greater purpose. I mean, if you look at what the ancient philosophers thought the meaning of life was, you know, Plato, Aristotle, and all those, it was the contribution to a greater good. So... It's not the hardest thing to get up into the morning. It can be exhausting still, because teenagers, but to get up in the morning and know that at least I'm coming to a place where, you know, you are in some ways contributing to something that is worthwhile.
0: Just from the female perspective, when you're exposed to boys who are, you know, they idolise men like Andrew Tate, Donald Trump, it can get very frustrating, not understanding that, you know, this is all that they have and, you know, it's not about them personally but what they're surrounded by. Do you think that there are some ways that we can educate girls, young girls as well, to be able to help, like, boys understand you know, differences and not to get frustrated but to help them, you know?
3: Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I think one of the important things, though, it's not, it's not your responsibility to. And I think that's the most important message. You, if you are in a relationship with someone or even if you've got a, whether it's romantic or a friend relationship, you're not their mother. You know, it's not your job to try to convince a guy that he shouldn't listen to one of these toxic people. Because as masculinity is slowly being redefined, you kind of deserve to find someone who can provide more emotionally for yourself than to have to worry about trying to raise a man-child. So, Mr. Presser, what are your plans for the future? I've got to be honest, right now, I'm just kind of, to be honest, I'm still finding my footing through all of this type of stuff as well. The stuff I've been talking about. And the more, the more I read and the more I, I look at the issue, the more concerned I get, more so in that there, don't, there really aren't many answers at the moment. So when I think about this professionally, I guess that's my answer. When I think about this personally, I'm going to Bali for the first time in January on a honeymoon. I got married earlier this year. We ran off and, and eloped my now wife. So
1: I'm looking forward to that.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Now, for the more important questions, what is something quirky that people don't know about you? Okay, actually, this, one, this one's embarrassing, but my wife
3: loves to laugh at me for it. I, okay, there's two things. First off, I thought for a very long time, and I was petrified of earwigs. because Okay, thank you, because I thought that what they actually did was crawl inside your ear and, and lay eggs. I now know that that's not true. The other thing as well is, because I do have some small OCD habits, is that I once found a spider in my pyjama pants. And so now I have to shake out my pyjama pants eight times before I put them on just to make sure that there's no spider in there. Yeah, Yeah.
0: So what is your favorite life quote and why?
3: So I think my favorite life quote would have to be from a Morgan Wallen song called A Band-Aid, putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. I think that basically in life we just, and I do this all the time as well, thankfully my wife (laughs) pulls me up on it, is we trivialize things that are important. And I think that one of the times something that we think is trivial, it's, it's really not. It does have to be unpacked. And I think the quote just reminds me of that.
0: If you could bring back life to any historical figure, who would it be and why?
3: Okay, so I thought about this question a little bit and I tried to come up with some names of like famous people or whatever. And I'm like, at the end of the day, none of these people will have an impact on my life in any way, shape or form. And even if you do that whole question, which is, you know, if you could have a dinner party with five people dead, who would you like to invite? The reality is, is whoever you invite, like, you're not going to get much out of it, you know? So, I actually settled on my paternal grandfather. The reason for that is, so he passed away when I was in year 12, but my dad's side of the family fled here during, just, sorry, my father's side of the family fled to Australia at the start of Hitler's reign. Being Jewish, the rest of my grandfather's family stayed in Poland. They thought, like many other Jews thought at the time, that it would just pass and it wouldn't be anything serious. So he lost, I think, from what I remember, he had seven to nine brothers, who all, unfortunately, there's no record of them. When my grandparents... My grandmother was an orphan as well, so we, no one knows about her family, but when my parents settled here, my grandparents settled here, he ended up as a tailor. He bought a factory in McKinnon, and eventually when he retired, he knocked down the factory, subdivided into, into units, and he was one of the, the kindest men that I had ever met and still have ever met. He had the tattoo on his wrist and everything like that. He never spoke of what had happened and what he went through. But he had such love and kindness in his heart for everyone. And I think when you talk about bringing someone back, I think more than bringing back a random celebrity who I can ask some cliche questions about, to be able to have a chat with him now that I'm older, I would find really valuable. I didn't really appreciate anything when I was, you know, in my late teens. I was young and stupid. I still am stupid. I'm old now. But I think I would really benefit from a conversation with him now.
2: Before we bring this episode to an end, we would like to thank you for being with us today and for sharing your wonderful story. Are there any last words of advice you would like to provide
3: with our listeners? I think the most important piece of advice I can give people in, in parting here is that they need to take responsibility for themselves you know the question before about whose responsibility essentially is it to help guys through this this time it's it's our responsibility it's our responsibility to our friends to ourselves to the the people we we date and partner off with in the end the reality is is that if you aren't going to take that responsibility for yourself the world is going to leave you behind
2: Thank you, enjoy the rest of your year and we look forward to hearing about your journey going into the future.
3: Awesome, thank you and thank you guys for having me.